0: Good morning, everyone. Wow, you're alive this morning. How great is that? A husband and his wife were sipping a glass of wine one summer evening. The wife said, I love you, and I don't think I could ever live without you. To which the husband said, is that you or the wine talking? which the woman said it's me and I'm talking to the wine. (laughs) I love that story because that woman was passionate about wine. It's a fun thing to talk about when you're first getting to know somebody. What are you passionate about? A lot of times you can tell because they got ball caps or you got shirts or whatever. You got Green Bay Packer license plates, whatever it might be, right? Which, oh, trust me, I am with you on that one right there. We are together, one under the Lord. Go Bears. I get it. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it right away. I could tell. We got to end this, baby, so I can get watching the game, people. That's what we got to do. All right, so watch all this right now. It's so much fun to ask that question. But even though that's a fun question, what are you passionate about? If I ask you that at church you might be tempted to lie. You might be tempted to give the, not, not the real answers, but the churchy answers. What are you passionate about? I'm, I'm passionate about God. I'm passionate about the church. I'm passionate about seeing people come to Christ. Whatever it might be, you might really do that. But I think we have infinite capacity for self-deception. It's one thing to sit here for an hour and And enjoy God's people and his service and the word and the worship, all that stuff. And then sometimes the moment we walk right out of here, we're back to our old self. We're back to our real self sometimes, right? I mean, you're like, oh my goodness, that was such a great service. I sense God so much. And then somebody cuts me off in the parking lot. And right away, I'm about ready to cuss or give them the international high sign or whatever it might be, right? Like what happened to my Christianity there, right? Because so often... Jesus in church, in our culture these days, is an add-on. You know, we go, we, we just kind of do this little thing where we go for an hour for church, and then we got that box checked, and then we're done. So I think that's why we're tempted to be duplicitous. Now, how can we know what we're really passionate about? I mean really passionate what you know you and I can talk about you know yeah we're in church we're gonna talk about Jesus that's fine the Bible but what are you really passionate about I'm gonna give you three words I want you to write them down over lunch today I want you to talk about these three words with your family these these are what I call these are this these three C's they all begin with the letter C are will help you understand what you're really passionate about not what you say but what you're really passionate about. The first one is your conversations. You know, watch what people talk about. Online, offline, in person. Watch what they talk about. What people talk about, it's, an, it's a window into their soul of what they care about, right? Jesus said it this way, from the heart, the mouth speaks. So watch what people say. Watch what you say. The second C is your calendar what you put into your time because we all we all have listen the, the billionaires Elon Musk has the same amount of time all of us 24 hours today seven days a week what you allow into that schedule says something about what you really care about the last C is your checkbook or if you don't have a checking account your credit card and if you don't have a credit card your cash right? It's the, mo- it's the money piece of this thing. You put your conversations, your calendar, and your checkbook together, and I want to tell you something. You show me those, and I'll show you what you're really passionate about. Not what you say you're passionate about, but what you're really passionate about. Maybe the better question, since we are in church, is not what you're passionate about or what I'm passionate about. Maybe the better question today is, What does God want us to be passionate about? If I understand 1 Corinthians, right, where Paul says to the church at Corinth, you are not your own. You have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, he says. So this isn't, I don't know how to say this, but I'm just going to say it like this. It's not about you. If you're a follower of Jesus this isn't about you. This isn't about me. This is about what Jesus wants for me. So maybe the better question is this. What does God want us all to be passionate about? Friends, I got great news for you. He has not left us wondering. It is in the word of God. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 28, but I need to tell you, What's going on in Mark chapter 12? Such a fascinating verse. chapter, chapter we have here. We have Mark chapter 12. He he's, he's starts off by telling some stories, and then he, he, the people who are trying to get Jesus to say, say, to say something in verse 13, paying taxes to Caesars. He's, he's trying to, the people are trying to trap Jesus, and they, they're asking Jesus, should we pay taxes? Now, nobody today would ever set a trap for anybody to be to cancel themselves, would they? We, if they this is—they're trying to get Jesus to say something politically not savvy, but Jesus works his way around it because he's Jesus. <laughs> he always wins. He's the king. And then the sad you come after Jesus. They did—they were the religious progressives. They were—they're the um, the liberals. And uh, they, they didn't believe in the, you know, the resurrection. And they didn't believe in angels and demons. And they didn't think uh, the whole testament was the word of God, just the first five books. And they come up to some, they concoct some kind of a weird thing to trap Jesus. And Jesus, you guys listen, as a general rule, never debate with Jesus on theological matters. He wrote this book. He'll chop you off at the knees and you will be sorry. And everybody that tries to trick Jesus, that's their story. They get chopped off at the knees and Jesus wins. He always wins because that's who he is. He's God in a bod and he's the king of the universe. And then they, in verse 28, this is where I want to pick it up. One of the teachers of the law. Now see another group, a group of people come up to Jesus. And they're just trying to get him to say something so they can hand him over to be crucified. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them in the in the earlier parts of, of Mark 12 debating. You guys, we got to get back to debating, you, the, not debating that has taken over the culture right now. Hey, here's what I believe. Well, you're stupid. You're an idiot. Did it? I cleaned it up for church because we are attacking people rather than ideas. And you know what's happened in this culture? Because we attack people rather than ideas? We got some very bad ideas going on in our lives right now. There, there's been a wholesale embracing of bad ideas. I want to get back to a robust debating of ideas, leaving the other person with their dignity. And Jesus was willing to debate. Look what it says there in verse 28 the teacher of the law came, heard them debating. When you debate ideas, you know what happens? Bad ideas fall away. Good ideas rise to the top. We need some good ideas in this country right now. Because we got a whole lot of bad ones. But we're really great at putting other people down. I love that Jesus was willing to debate ideas. They came up to Jesus in verse 28. It says, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, now this this law, teacher of the law, is going to try to trick Jesus of all the commandments, look at the question, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? I love this question. Which one? Little context. In Jesus's day, the Jewish people of of Jesus's day went and studied Matthew, excuse me, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books, the Torah, as the Jewish people call them, the books of Moses. And they counted all the commands. And they all agreed there were 613 commands from God that everybody must obey. I got great news for you this morning. My sermon does not have 613 points. And all God's people said, yeah, that would be a heavy, heavy message, wouldn't it? But these people walked under the burden of 613. 13 things you got to do to be a good Jew. And so Jesus, this is something they love to ask. Jesus is asked this question. Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? Look at verse 29. The most important one answered Jesus. Pause. Do you know that when you ask Jesus a question, he's 40 more times likely to ask you a question back. It's the old story of the Jewish rabbis. They said this. Why do Jewish rabbis ask so many questions and the answer why shouldn't they ask so many questions? see what I did there they just keep asking the question back right there's about eight times depending on how you read the text there are about eight times Jesus is asked a question and he just answers it guess what this is one of them this is one of them Jesus of all the commandments 613 which one is the most important Jesus says The most important one, verse 29, answered Jesus, is this. Shema Israel, Adonai el Adonai Echad. Some of you are worried I'm speaking in tongues, but it is the tongue of Hebrew. Ancient Hebrew, right? Because this is what every Jewish person understood as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only one, the one and only. There's no, friends, there is no God like the Hebrew God, the one that you and I know now as the God of all nations. That's true. He's the one and only. And every person within Jesus' teaching distance, right? They were all listening to him. Every person totally understood what Jesus was saying, because you know why? Two or three times a day, they quoted scripture that began with Shema Israel, Adonai el Hainu, Adonai Echad, which only means the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Meaning he's the one and only. Now friends, you got Let's do a little Bible study this morning for those of you that have real Bibles. Because there's real Bibles and there's the phone. How many of you got the phone? Raise your your phone in the air like you really, really care. It took 2,000 years, but we're back to scrolling through Scripture, aren't we? (laughs) Finally. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you look at your little notes here in your Bible, and those notes are in there, those footnotes are there for a reason. They want you to know that Jesus is quoting a passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy. And every Jewish person knew this passage by heart because they said it three times a day. And the first thing that when a, uh, the new baby, Jewish baby was born, the rabbi would grab that newborn baby and pull that baby's ear right to his mouth. And he said, Shema Israel, Adonai el And he would go on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He would, just, he would just do the whole thing. It was the first thing. It was so important because the Shema, this, what I'm, this passage of scripture from Deuteronomy that Jesus is quoting, was the mission statement of every Jew. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Look what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. All that means is with everything you have, you got money? Do it. Use it for the love of God. You got time? Use it for the love of God. You go to work somewhere? For the love of God, go to work and do a good job for the glory of God. And love people as they come across your path. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There it is. Boom. Jesus' mic drop moment. He could have walked off, but he didn't. He's like, you want to know it? You already know this. Love God with everything you have. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is interesting. Look what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that tells me that's Deuteronomy. The second is this. Wait a minute. How many commands did they ask for? Jesus, what's the greatest one? Jesus says, the second is this. Because this is a thing called stringing pearls. Stringing pearls in, in, in Jesus' day was take a passage you know. You know, we all, most of us, especially old people, uh, know John 3:16. Let's say it right now just for a moment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, King James, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, that's, the, that. this is their John, Deuteronomy 6 is their John 3:16. if you're a Jew, right? They said it all the time. But you know what? Jesus holds on to Deuteronomy 6 and says, yes, this is is what God wants you to be passionate about, loving him with everything you have. But then he says, the second is like this. So he holds Deuteronomy over here, and he reaches over, and this is verse 31. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. Now watch, what Jesus is saying, are you ready? What Jesus is saying is, the most important thing for us, all human beings, is to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, every part of us. But the best way we do that, Jesus says, as he reaches over to Leviticus 19, he says, then if you really love God, love your neighbor, the people who are closest to you in your relational sphere, people that you see on a regular basis, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus says, if you really love me, you're going to love others. Now, how many of you love Jesus? Raise your hand. I want to see how you, yeah, I have, I'm with you. How many of you have a harder time loving people in your life? Go ahead, be honest with you. How many of you are sitting next to that person right now? <laughs> Do not raise your hands because that makes it messy, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, somebody's raising up your hand. It's good, right? But it's true, right? I mean, God, how can you not love him? He's perfect. You know what the problem is? My neighbor isn't perfect. Gets on my nerves sometimes. Or my family gets on my nerves sometimes guess what i get on other people's nerves sometimes. that's how it works that's how it works you're not the one that's pure my friend you get on each say this with me i get on other people's nerves just have a confession i yeah we just just do and they'll say finally you realize point to the person that you finally i'm glad you would confess that because you're driving me nuts right and that's what it says right here right love your neighbor as yourself you know what in Jesus' day this, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know what they believed? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. They got that part right. But the, their second command was, then you'll keep the Sabbath. That's why Jesus gets so much blowback from these guys about the Sabbath. And Jesus says, that's a lesser, that's a lesser. That's not my yoke, my teaching, he says. My teaching is, love God, love people. Do this with me. Somebody's going to ask you, what'd you learn today? And I want you to make a cross. Go like this, say, do this. I know some of like, we're not Pentecostal. I know, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, here we go, ready? I say, love God. Here's what I learned today. Love God. And then that's your vertical relationship. Here's your horizontal. Say, love people. Love God. Say it with me. Love God, love people. Every time I see a cross, I think of two things. Number one, what Jesus has done for me. He, his death, burial, resurrection. But it also reminds me how he wants me to live for him. When I leave here, and while I'm here, love God and love people. But what would ever... Okay, so that's clear. That's clear. The most important thing God wants us to live for is loving God and loving people. But what would ever make us love God? Were any of you born loving God? The book of Romans says, you were born loving you. And some of you are still there. I mean, that's really the truth. My wife and I have seven children. That's not bragging, that's a prayer request. (laughs) You don't want to talk to us about family planning because we had six in 10 years, and then we waited another 10 years. (sniffs) Baby, we're good. All right, here we go. Yeah, she's 11 now. And uh, probably my retirement, to be honest with you. I'll be living with her at some point. But you know what? Seriously. It's so so important that every one of us understand that we are born sinners. I like to say all seven of my kids have their mother's sin nature. Stay with me. And mine. Now, hers is bad, but boy, you throw mine in there, it's a toxic cocktail. Man, those kids don't even have a choice unless Jesus gets a hold of them, right? And it's true. And because we're born loving ourselves. That's what the book of Romans teaches us. We're far from God. You know, we don't love God. We love us. So what would ever make us want to love God and let alone people? Because that's what God told us to do. What would ever make us want to do that? 1 John 4.19. Mark it, First John, four nineteen. Here's what John. This whole book is about loving. First John, whole book about loving God, loving people. But he tells us what would make us want to love God. First John four nineteen. We love. That's us. You and I. You and I can love. Why? Because we worked at it ourselves. No, 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 no. Because we worked at it up. Mm, I'm just going to be really good. Nah. We love because. He first loved us. Say it with me. We love because he first loved us. And how did he love us? 1 John three sixteen. We know what love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. The Bible couldn't be clearer, more clear about what he wants. What would ever make us want to? What is the greatest expression of God's love? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he was sinless, he'd never sinned, and he said, I'm going to take all of mankind's sin, and I'm going to pay justice to a holy God by shedding my blood and dying and letting my body be beat. And I'm going to then raise from the dead to show that my sacrifice was accepted by God. And anyone now can receive Jesus Christ as his or her Savior. And because of God's great love for us, it transforms us. That's what makes me want to love others. It's not because it's the right thing to do. It's because God loves me. And God's love always comes to us to go through us to others. If you capture that and don't do anything with it, you're missing the point of following Jesus. God's love comes to us on its way through us to other people. Let me show you a picture. The only thing that I can ever, ever explain how this happened to me is the great love of God. Would you put that picture of the two two gals? These people are special to me. I'm here today in Alito at First Baptist Church sharing God's work and his word today with you because of two bartending women. Yes, you heard me right. There they are. My mom is the dark-haired one and her friend is the gray-haired one. Here's the story to the picture. My mom, born and raised in the projects, we were born, second generation, born and raised in the project. Mom got married out of, had pregnant out of wedlock. All, I mean, just all the classic, everybody in my family drank like crazy, and they fought like crazy, and it was just, it was all, anything we could do, we, they were they were all all in for the exact opposite team, and all the craziness that our, our world will offer a person. And my mom uh, got a divorce from my dad because he was abusive, and my mom... Uh, took B and the kids to the projects. I mean, she was already in there, but we just got our own little place in the projects. And uh, my mom had to go find a place to work, so she became a bartender. That's what we do. And it was at that bar she met that gray-haired gal. Now, this was like in the 60s, 70s type thing. And uh, Jerry was just like her. Same story. Single mom, divorced, uh, trying to eke out a living at a tavern, partying hard. Everybody did that in the 60s and the 70s and still doing it today. So think about this for a moment. These two women became fast friends. They were working in the same place. They became super close. But Jerry had worked longer than my mom at the tavern and Jerry had a time for vacation, 2 weeks they were going to give her. And so she didn't know where to go, so she called her sister. She didn't have any money and she called her sister who lived out of state and she said, "Hey, I don't I, I would like to get my kids away from everything that we we normally live in. Can we can we come and stay with you for for a couple of weeks." And the sister said, "'Jerry, I'm so glad you called. There's something I want to share with you. Come and stay with us two weeks." Ha, 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 you know where this story is going. Jerry's sister recently received Jesus Christ as her savior and just wanted to share that with Jerry. She's a brand new Christian. So when Jerry got there, there's their sister with the Bible open, can't wait to talk about Jesus, and Jerry said, oh no, I'm stuck here for two weeks with someone who can only talk about Jesus and the Bible. How crazy is that? But by the end of that first week, Jerry received Jesus Christ as her Savior, and then they got her going into the Gospel of John, and she was fired up. She came back to that tavern in our little town where we lived, and uh, she walked in and she announced to everybody, including my mother who was working at the time, she said, I quit and they said what'd you do you use your two weeks to find another job she says no I don't know where I'm gonna work I certainly got to find a job but I didn't go away and find a job and they said well why are you quitting don't you need this job yeah of course I need this job but I'm not gonna do it because I found what I was looking for they said what were you looking for well I tried to find it in men I tried to find it in party I tried to find it in all these different things but you know what I finally I said what do you what'd you find she said I found a relationship with Jesus and they said you are drunk Go sober up and come back. She said, I'm not drunk and I quit. And the boss finally stepped up and said, Well, you've got to give us a two week notice. And for the next two weeks, that tavern, that sleazy little tavern, became a ministry center run by the Reverend Jerry, who told everybody about Jesus. My mother told me the story. My mom's passed two years ago now. And this is the story she told me. She said, The night she went in, Jerry's last day, they were sad Jerry was quitting but they certainly weren't gonna join Jerry. And so my mom looked at Jerry, and she's back there talking about Jesus and explaining why she's not coming back, and da 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 And my mom saw two Jerry's, because my mom was already drunk. My mom told me she went like this, so she could see one Jerry. And she looked at Jerry, and she had this thought in her head. I hope whatever happened to Jerry never happens to me. That's, how, that's where I come from. When I go to our family reunion, I can hug more felons in one day than most of you can in a lifetime. That's, you know, if you were asked, where would I be right now apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, that would be the the answer, because I'd be high probability incarceration. But that's not what God had in mind, wasn't it? You know what happened? On my way, on my mother's way, on my mother's way to self-destruction, she was rudely interrupted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think my mother's conversion, belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has changed our family line? We have passed it on to our kids and with mixed results sometimes. Their story's not done yet, but they're way ahead of us. And we just had our first grandchild. And I am going to be that grandpa who reads the Bible to my grandson. That's, I'm going to be crazy Grandpa Bill who can only talk about Jesus. I'm, that's how I'm going to go. It has changed. It has changed the trajectory of my family tree. We live in a world right now that is so jacked up. And we think if we could just have a big stadium full of, no, it's not how it works. How did this work? Was my mom going to a stadium to hear Billy Graham? I like Billy Graham. No. The the world is changed. When you, who say you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the world changes when you walk out of here, starting right with the people you know, your family, your neighbors, the people you work with, The people that you jog with or whatever your thing is. Motorcycle with, I like to do that. That you play music with, whatever it is. Your pastor is awesome. He will never be able to reach Alito. Guess who has all the relationships? You do. And so this Saturday, we are going to totally unpack this idea about how you can be like Jerry And my mom became like Jerry. Why? Because Jerry was telling people about Jesus. One of the last conversations I had with my mom, I called her because I was missing her. Hey, Mom, how are you doing? She goes, can't talk to you now. I'm like a little put off. I'm like, I'm your only son. I go, seriously, Mom? I'm reaching out to you. She goes, I got my neighbor on the porch, and I'm telling her about Jesus. I don't want to leave my kids a lot of money. I don't have any. But if I did, I wouldn't want to leave it to them. You know what I want to leave to my kids? Something way more important than money in a home and a bunch of material stuff they have to go sell at a rummage sale after I'm gone. A legacy. A legacy of disciple-making multiplication. And If you're interested in that, I'd love to dig down with that this Saturday morning. It'll be fun. It'll be interactive. I'm bringing my friend, Crazy Pastor Steve, When I give you the moniker, crazy, it's because you're a beautiful, crazy person. You'll love him. So you're like, so what, Bill? Thank you. Nice story, bro. All right, here's the challenge. I'm going to give you a prayer. Go ahead and put the prayer up here. Did you guys get one of these? If if not, in the back, right on the corner where the sound booth is, there are a a stack of these. It's It's a disciple maker's prayer. What it does is it explains how Jerry lived and my mom lived and now how I aspire to live. Let's look at it real quick. It says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life. Disciple-making is simply this, following Jesus and helping other people find and follow Jesus, just like Jerry did. And here I am. And now I'm gonna spend the rest of my life doing it. As I go through every part of this day, I wanna challenge you to pray this for the next 21 days. Next set, when I come back Saturday morning, I want to hear stories about how you prayed this and what God did in your life in the last seven days. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you always because you love me. Love you and love the people who cross my path starting with my family. Not only my family, but starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you're sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to whoever you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. None of this is self-help. All of this is by the word of God and the spirit of God. By your word and the spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples. Then there's that Latin phrase, ad infinitum, which only means what we learned in Toy Story, to infinity and beyond. Until the whole world, all of Alito, all of the places around here know that God is alive and well. Because we lived like this. I challenge you. Seven just this next time, seven days, but y'all want you to do it for 21 days. Pray this prayer and see if God will do something with it. Now, we're at the end. I'm gonna we're gonna say this prayer together as a way to get you launched but I want to say one last thing. The real test of what happens during church is what happens after church. I'll say it this way. The real test of what happens during church is how we leave here after church. Some of you are going, I don't think I can do that. Of course you can. That's why Jesus will be with you. Do you think Jerry, you think Jerry felt like she was equipped? No, she wasn't. She was like, you know what she did? Hey, God forgave me. My friend needs forgiveness. Let me tell you how. It's that simple. Share what you know when you get the opportunity. In the meantime, love everybody. Everybody. It messes with their head when you do that. They do not know what to do with you. Ready? Say it with me. Stand up. Heavenly Father, say it with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples Ad infinitum, in Jesus' name.